morning. Good morning again. Thanks for being here. Guys, we have two more, including this, we have two Sundays left in this building. That, that's just, wow, that's crazy, which means September will be over, October is here, and we are that much closer towards launching this community in the Outer Wild area. Fascinating. It's going to be, ah, oh, can't wait. It's coming. It's coming. A lot more stuff to happen. Um, we got an exciting day today. As most of you know, we've got a cleanup day. Our service will continue at the playground, as I'm calling it, uh, as we're going to continue cleaning up. I know many of you are coming. Some of you can't. Totally understand that. But regardless, we're glad you're here this morning. Real quick, um, as by way of announcement, just especially if you're new, um, please find one of these cards, our Connect and Prayer and Praise cards. You can fill these out, drop them in the blue boxes in the back. Um, if you want to update your personal info or you have a prayer request, please do that. Um, just want to remind one other announcement, uh, ladies, the women's retreat is coming up in November and there's only just a few spots left. So if you're interested and you want to come to that, please go online and sign up for that. There's more details that you can find there. I want to start off this morning with a story. I was about 12 years old. Um, one of the things that my family was very much into, very big into, we did a lot of hunting, uh, particularly duck hunting. That was our favorite time of year. And uh, when you're, when, especially when you're a young boy, this is it's exciting when you finally get to go. All right, when you're old enough and you're big enough to go. And, and I'll never forget, one of the, it was one of the first times I got to go. It was in the middle of January. And the way it worked was you, you, we drove to this lake. We got in these dinky little old metal boats. We drove all the way. It was like a 30-minute boat ride out into the lake. You found your duck blind. We did that this morning, this one particular morning. And as we're out there, we realized... The weather's getting pretty bad. And we thought, you know what? We should probably call it this morning. No, I didn't call it. I'm 12, and I'm thinking, oh, let's, let's stay. This will be fun. And my dad, thankfully, in his wisdom said, we need to go. Those clouds are looking very dark, and it's time for us to go. So we load back up, and we start heading back towards the, towards the shore. And about, well, like I said, about a 30-minute drive on, on the boat. And it gets really bad really fast. This storm comes barreling in. Remember, it's January, and I, it's Texas, but Texas has cold days, okay? Not necessarily cold seasons, but there are days, and this day was particularly cold. It was below freezing. The lake hadn't frozen yet, but it was below freezing. This storm is coming in, and instantly we're hit with sleet and rain and crazy wind. And we're on a boat. I'm not kidding you. The boat is only like 12 feet long. It's about this wide. There's four of us and a dog. It's, it's bad, okay? At least I, I don't realize. I know realize now how severe this was. But it gets bad to the point where the waves are about hip high, okay, in, in a tiny little boat. And it's starting to crash, and we're getting, we're, we're soaked at this point. We're freezing. Um, I have no idea what's going on. I have no idea what to do, but my dad, we're about halfway out in the middle of the lake. We're, we are, ironically, sitting ducks at this point. And my dad says, we are not making it back to the shore. It will not happen. In the middle of the lake, there's this tiny little island, and I say tiny, I'm talking about the section, this little seating section right here, okay? And he says, we're going to the island, and we all knew what that meant. 
And so, like something out of a movie here, he turns the boat, and we barrel straight towards the shoreline, and it was like D-Day style. Like, we jump out, and we are running through water. We're, we, like, wedge the boat in there, and we go, and we cover because the storm is incredible. I mean, it, it was one of the most intense. And I was a 12-year-old boy. I thought, I am going to be the most popular kid in school this week when I tell this story. But it was terrifying. It really, really was. I, I, I reflect back on that now, and I realize that, you know, this idea of the, the vulnerability of water, being out on, on the water. Now, I'm a good swimmer, okay? But I don't care how good you are. Um, covered in, in really thick clothing in January in a crazy lake, and nobody swims well in that. And, and I remember thinking, you know, how quickly this will put things into perspective for you, how quickly uh, water makes you feel helpless. And it, I, was, I was thinking through it this week, and I, and I, I noticed something in Scripture that I, that I never really took notice of, is that God seems to write some of his best moments, some of the, the greatest stories in the Bible take place on a boat, take place on water. I was thinking about this. So a lot of us are familiar with Noah. We know what happens with Noah, Jonah. I know there's a whale involved in that, but nonetheless, a boat. Jesus himself is on boats a lot. He meets people on boats. He preaches from boats. Incredible things happen on water, and as we're going to see today there in the book of Acts, where we are, there is a whole chapter, a whole section in the book of Acts dedicated to a boat's voyage, and it's a very suspenseful part and very suspenseful, suspenseful chapter and section in the book of Acts, and that's where we're going to be. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 27. If you need a Bible, raise your hand, and one of our hosts will be glad to give you that. Um, but, but I want to set up by way of recap here what's, what's kind of happening, um, where we are in the story of Acts. So we, at this point, Luke, the author, is focused on the life of Paul, and Paul is as we learned last week, has been arrested. He has been in Jerusalem where he has, been, uh, he has faced three different trials, all of which did not really go well. Paul is innocent. There is no formal charge that has been placed against him. He has done nothing wrong. But in an effort to protect himself and as a way to fulfill kind of his own personal mission, um, when he's on trial, he appeals to Caesar. As, as a Roman citizen, he had this right to appeal to Caesar to take his case. In other words, it's, it's like almost saying, I want to go to the Supreme Court and, and present my case. It's a similar idea that Paul says, all right, you keep accusing me of all these things. I appeal to Caesar. I want to go to Rome. Paul had been, had been desiring to get to Rome for a long time. Rome, of course, during this time is the most prominent city in the world. And so the opportunity to get there is, is a major endeavor for, for Paul, and he really wants to go. However, God has not allowed him. Paul has been ministering for over 20 to 30 years at this point, and God has not allowed him to go there. And we know that because God in his perfect timing and in his perfect planning has this unique thing that he's going to line up for Paul, what's ultimately going to happen. But Paul has nonetheless, he's been anticipating this, and now he finally gets to go. 
he finally gets to go to Rome. He may not have imagined the circumstances be this, where he's arrested, he's, been, he's faced trial three times, and he had to appeal to Caesar in order to get to Rome, but nonetheless he does. Um, he, he probably doesn't expect this, but I, I assure you this, he probably doesn't expect what's about to happen to him, what's about to happen on this journey. So let's pick it up here. Acts 27, we're just going to read the first couple verses here. I can get there. Verse 1 says, And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius, and embarking on a ship from Adramidium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea. Now, it's important to note a couple few things here as we're talking about this journey. So we, we, we know here that Paul and his appeal says, I want to go to, to Rome. So they, they decide, okay, we're going to put you under the care of the centurion. You are going to sail from the coast all the way to Rome. Now, a couple interesting things here. This is not a Disney cruise. This is not in any way to be resembled to a modern-day cruise or a, a, a sailing adventure even today. Okay, In, ild, in ideal conditions... In a, in a great boat with minimal stops, you are talking sailing from, um, the, from Israel all the way to Rome is at best a two-month journey. That's at best, okay? More realistically, this is anywhere from about four to six-month journey, maybe three if you're, if you're lucky as well. But this is a long time. And But what's interesting here is that, as we will learn later in the chapter, is that God sends Paul at an interesting time of year because we learn in, the, in this text that Paul and this team set sail in late autumn, early fall, which to me really means nothing, but to sailors, this is one of the worst times that you can begin a voyage in the Mediterranean Sea. This is the time of year when the weather begins to change. Temperatures drop. The water temperature begins to drop, and, and the winds begin to shift. Luke, throughout chapter 27, if you read the whole thing, we won't today, but if you read the whole thing, there are at least, uh, there, there are many, many occasions where Luke is referencing the wind, and he's talking about the, the difficulty that the wind posed to them in, in their journey to get to Rome. And, and we see that it doesn't take long for these environmental factors to create chaos for this journey for Paul and his shipmates. And we're going to see just how bad it gets. But I, but I want us to take a, just a quick pause here and step back to recognize what God is doing, okay? When we talk about God's plans and how they unfold, whether that's my life, your life, Paul's life, others, we need to recognize something here. There is no detail that is overlooked, there is no part that has not been perfectly planned out. When it comes to, you, to God working in our lives, we need to remember those things. His timing is perfect, his planning is perfect, okay? Because when it comes to God, no one is more in tune with our lives, no one is more invested in our lives, and no one is more capable to guide our lives than God himself. 
And he shows that by being involved even in the smallest of details, things like the conditions of, of, of the sea. God puts Paul on this boat for a reason, okay? And as we will see, he causes one of the worst events in Paul's life to happen for a reason. I, I said already how much Luke talks about the wind but, uh, and, and the conditions of the sea, but let's remember something here. Luke is also the author of the Gospel of Luke. In fact, the Gospel of Luke and Acts of the Apostle are technically one book. We have separated them to help organize them a little better, but essentially this is one long book for Luke. And remember that Luke is also one of the authors that records one of the most famous scenes of Jesus' life. If you recall, when Jesus tells the disciples, we're going to cross the Sea of Galilee, and they get into the boat, and you remember what Jesus does? He goes and he falls asleep. And the disciples are there, and, and the conditions of the sea begin to get horrible, the waves are crashing in. All this stuff is happening. And what do they do? They go to Jesus and they say, Jesus, Jesus, wake up. We're about to die. And, he's, and he leads us through this great moment of, uh, it's a great lesson of faith. And he, and he is able to calm the wind and the seas. And Luke records, even the wind and the water obey him. This is the same God, this is the same Jesus in Acts. Luke knows this. He wrote about it not too long ago. He knows what's happening here, and so he, he don't miss this. When, when Luke is referring constantly to the wind and the waves, he's not just describing the environmental factors. He's trying to tell us that, look, even God is in control of those things. Let's pick up in verse 9 here. Okay, I'm going to read verse 9 through 12. As, as they've begun their journey, as they've begun sailing, verse 9 says, so, Since much time had passed... And the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over. Paul advised them, saying, Sir, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the, the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship to, than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Okay? Paul's not a, a boat captain, but he is an experienced traveler. And he says something. He knew enough to say, hey, this is a bad idea. We should not do this. I know the weather's about to change. The conditions are about to get worse. We shouldn't go do this. And I really like this part because we notice something about Paul here, okay? Paul knows that his goal is to get to Rome, and he, and he believes that God will somehow get him there. But he says, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go on this journey. I do not want to set sail. I do not want to cross the Mediterranean during this time of year because I know how dangerous it is. He, he wants to avoid the unnecessary, difficult journey, and I, I don't say that I blame him for that. But as the old saying goes, right, it's not always about the destination. It's about the journey. It's a phrase I know all of us can relate to, and it's a phrase that will certainly be true in Paul's life in this moment, right? 
as we continue to step back, as we, as we pause and reflect on what we try to see what God is doing here, we need to remember that God's plan in our life will always encompass more than we can ever imagine. Okay? Sometimes that includes things that are very difficult. Sometimes that includes things that are very joyous. Sometimes that includes things that we don't fully understand. But all of it involves God at the helm. That's what we have to remember this morning. This is not a story that God is saying, I'm just going to check out for a little bit. God is fully engaged in this voyage and what is about to happen here. Let's pick it up. Let's see kind of what happens here. Verse 13. Now, when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the nor'easter struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island of, of Kata, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then fearing that they would run aground on the surface, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed and began the next day to jettison the cargo, and on the third day they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their hands, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, with no small tempest lay upon us, all hope of being saved was last abandoned. Put yourself in the scenario here for just a moment, okay? You're on a boat, not a Disney cruise. You're on a wooden ship in the middle of the Mediterranean, and think of these factors for just a second. It's cold. There is crazy wind and waves out of control. The, the ship is beginning to break apart. The, the text says that they were using ropes to bind the ship together because it was starting to break apart. All navigation had been lost. Notice that God even covers the stars and the sun so they couldn't even look up and get a directional idea of where they were. All of that has been taken out. Death is imminent. It's an extremely traumatic and terrifying experience that it is summed up perfectly in verse 20. When it says, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. There are very few things in life that feel worse than all hope being lost. We know the power of hope. We think about that even as we, as we think about the Sandersons right now. We know that you cling to hope in that. Hope is extremely powerful. Um, years ago in high school, I was at a party, and um, the, the party was getting a little out of hand, and I left. Well, later that night, um, a few of my good friends got in a car, and they started driving around, and the car flipped. All three of the guys survived, which is a miracle in itself. Um, however, one of my friends, Kyle, um, Kyle did not come out as well. Um, the, there was a big box in the back of his car that ended up coming and hitting him, uh, causing permanent brain damage. Now, he still is 
functioning and it's, it's, you won't notice it right away. Um, but this impacted Kyle. I mean, it's still to this day. I mean, it, it, it was a very scary, traumatic moment for him. Um, but sadly, one of the things that happened is that part of his journey has included multiple run-ins with the law. And Kyle is currently in prison, and him and I write letters to each other about two or three times a month. Um, and it's been incredible to, to talk with him because he, for the first 10 years after this accident, he really, I mean, he just get, got worse and worse and worse, got in more trouble. All this stuff started happening to him. He has been in prison now, I think this is his third time. But it's been interesting because as I've been writing with him, one of the things that he is a part of right now is a um, prison ministry. And he, is, um, he has come to meet Jesus. And he is, he is learning about how God views him as a person. That his mistakes, all this won't ultimately matter in the light of how God views him. And it's been great. I mean, I, I don't even, it doesn't even feel like I'm talking to the same person, y'all. I remember this guy from high school, and I'm telling you what the, what the things that he is writing versus who he was, they're not even the same thing. I have hope for Kyle. Uh, he is hopefully, you know, on parole, and, you know, as my goal is uh, I would love to bring him out here. Uh, I'd love to connect with him again. But hope is powerful. But the second it leaves us, the second where we begin to feel like all of it is gone, we become like broken ships out in the middle of the sea. We begin to sink. And this is where this crew is at. They know the situation. They know how things are getting worse. And yet, we come back to the same God. The same God who controls the wind and the waves is about to enter in and do something incredible in this moment because the, the God who is in control of the wind and the waves is the same God who has a plan for each of us. It's the same God who cares far more about us as people than he does the wind and the waves. And it's the same God who has gone the ultimate lengths of sacrifice to show his love for us. Look at what happens in verse 21. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you shall have listened to me and not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you and all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on an island. At one of the most lowest of moments of life for not only Paul, but essentially this entire crew, God steps in and delivers a message. He comes to Paul. He, he gives Paul this clear unpacking of what is going to happen. And Paul comes and he takes it to the crew. And by the way, I think it's funny that the first thing Paul says to this group is, I told you so. It makes me feel a little bit better that, oh yeah, okay, even Paul is guilty of saying things like that. Completely unnecessary, but he says it anyway, and I'm, it makes me kind of laugh. But he does go on, and he, and he brings this message, he says, hey, we're going to be okay. 
take heart, God is in control. This is the very God that I have faith in, and I am trusting that he is going to deliver us. It's, it's in these times, I think what, what happens is that we often want, we wish that we were in control of when God spoke into things. We wish that we could say, God, now is the time that I want you to speak. Now is the time when I wish you would give me some form of encouragement, and yet that's not how God works. As I was thinking about this, one of the things I realized is that what happens is I think sometimes God has to bring us to this place where we realize that there is no other hope than him. That sometimes literally the boat has to be falling apart where all hope is completely lost, and that's when God says, now I need you to pay attention to me because now I've got your attention. Sometimes that's what has to happen. But in those moments, amazing things can happen, and that's what God is doing here. God uses Paul in this opportunity to do something amazing. And this, is, this has been uh, the great reminder and encouragement for me this week, okay? Remember that Paul has been on mission for over 20 plus years now. He has put up with a lot. He is currently on trial for something that he is innocent of. He can't, the guy can't even get a smooth cruise to Rome. Like, the guy can't catch a break. But notice what Paul does here, okay? Even in the midst of all this, God continues to call him to press forward, to be faithful towards sharing the gospel and loving others, and that's exactly what Paul does. Paul stands up as a leader to lead this group. And he even tells them that, hey, it's even going to get worse, but he says, but have faith, trust in God, because God is going to lead us through this. Look at verse 34. As as things had gotten worse, Paul says, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Paul could have very easily sat in his little cell block or whatever part of the ship he was in and just watched all this unfold. He could have very easily said, well, I know God's going to get me there, so I don't really care. I'm just going to sit here and focus. But notice that Paul steps up and he says, I see a need in people. I see an opportunity to share the hope of the gospel, the hope of faith in Christ, and I'm going to do it. And there's three things I want us to notice from this, from this story. One is that the church is not a building. It is a group of people on mission. It is not a building. It is people who have been called together, shoulder to shoulder, to bring about this mission of bringing the love of Jesus into the world. The second is that the mission of the church can occur anywhere that people are. It doesn't have to be in a building. And in this case, it's on a boat. And finally, and please catch this, even in the most difficult of times in our lives, we always have something that we can give to others. Uh, trust me, I, I know that feeling. I know what it's like to, to be in that place where you feel that all hope is lost. 
I know what it feels like to think that you have nothing in the tank left to give, that you feel completely broken, you feel that need to, I need to get my life right first, I need to get right before I can give to others, and uh, I feel that I would only be someone who would bring others down, but can I remind all of us and encourage you with this, that if, if you know Jesus personally, if Jesus is in your life, even in the lowliest of times, even in your roughest seasons, where moments of hope are all lost, we can always impact others by speaking the love of Jesus into people's life. There is no point that you can reach where that cannot impact others. And I understand that it's difficult. I understand that even myself, I fail in those moments, but I want us to be encouraged and reminded that even for Paul, in one of his roughest seasons, finds this opportunity to say, but I'll at least say one thing. I would argue that even it's oftentimes when people are in these moments and they choose to cling to this hope, that that often has sometimes the biggest impact on others. I told Alan last night as I was on the phone with him, I said, Alan, I want you to understand something. I said, you have, y'all have already been an encouragement to me through this journey. You're, you're only three days into it. And, and just hearing him talk and, and, and him just appreciating the prayers, I've just already been encouraged at their level of faith through this. So don't ever think that just because you've entered this season where things are bad that you have nothing to give. You do. You have Jesus. So if this is you today, I, please just be reminded that. I, once again, I'm not trying to make it too simple. I'm not trying to say that it doesn't, that it's not hard to do this, but I want you to know that it can be done. You know, God, God has a plan for all of us. He knows what it entails. He's in control of all of it. The same God who controls the wind and the waves cares far more deeply about you and I. And I'll close with this. Um, as I think about Idlewild and I think and reflect on this story and where we're going as a team, yeah, one of the things that I am... I am guilty of a lot is I, I get in this destination mindset. I get in this, here's all the things that have to happen before we go, and here's all the things that will happen down the road. That's just how my brain works. It's all I have. I have goals. I have expectations. I have visions. And all of which I, I categor, categorize as to this is what will be successful. This is what makes Idlewild successful if all these things are happen. Uh, but can I remind us, myself and us as a team, to never forget what God is doing in the moment and use the opportunities that God has given you each and every day to bring about some form of hope into people's lives. I don't know what that is. I don't know what that looks like for each of you. But I know that God can use us in incredible ways in times that we would have never imagined it. So may we take even the smallest of opportunities that we have to love on people. There are people in this room, I assure you, that are having bad days right now. There are people in this room that life, has, the, the, the past year maybe, season of life has been difficult. There is worry in this room right now. There is a concern over um, relationships, health, numerous things you may even in the smallest of way help impact them today with just the smallest opportunity that God give you. Never, ever think that it is, it is useless or that God can't use you because he can. 
And above all, may we trust him to do it all. Let's pray with that. And um, I'm going to invite Melissa up for just a couple quick announcements. God, we, we read, we hear in this story that you are the God who is ultimately in control of all things, that even in Paul's story, God, you, you had a plan for him. You knew you were going to get him to Rome. You knew you had these things that you wanted him to do there. And yet you had plans even before that. Even just the, the, the mere journey of getting there, God, you had plans for him. God, we know that's true for us. We, as I think about the people in this room, as I think about even the community at Idlewild, God, we know that you have plans, that you are going to do things. And yet, God, what, what we, but we don't know what those always look like, but yet, God, what we do know is that the things that are currently happening, the moments that we do have, may we take those opportunities to um, invest in people and, and even in some form show the hope that we have in you. Because, God, oftentimes there's people that, that feel like none, there is none left. And, God, I pray for the people in this room who maybe are feeling that, who maybe even themselves are saying, you know what, I, I do. I feel like this broken ship out in the middle of the sea and all hope is lost. God, may you just remind them at this very moment that there is always hope in you, that through your son there is always hope. And may, may they feel a sense of encouragement from that today. And may as we as a family come alongside and support each other in that. God, we love you and we thank you for today. Um, and we just continue to lift up the Sandersons and trust baby Cameron to you. And uh, God, I lift up all the other prayer requests in this room, the things that are weighing on people's hearts, the things that they, are, they can't seem to get their minds off of. God, may we just lift that up to you. We trust you in your good name. It's in that. We pray. Amen.